Good morning and welcome to episode 10 of Talk for Freedom. This is Cecil Lopez. We have um, Cecilia here as well. Hi. And Chuck. How you doing? So we're excited again to uh, continue our Talk for Freedom podcast and being in episode 10. Thank you for tuning in as well. You can find uh, the podcast on chuckpaulllc.com and a21freedomchasers.org. And so today we have a special guest, um, Carol, with us. And so, uh, Chuck, if you want to tell us a little bit more about what Carol is doing here today and, and what what she's going to share with us, and, and then we'll kick it off with Carol. So Carol is my friend. She is a speaker, a consultant, and a leader in helping to fight human trafficking here in San Antonio and around the state of Texas, and eventually probably around the country. Carol is a graceful speaker. She is an amazing woman. She also has an amazing story of transformation, restoration, and how exactly one life can make a difference in this fight. Carol, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, thank you, Chuck. Um, I am a survivor. Um, I am also a human trafficking, sex trafficking consultant leader. Um, My purpose on this earth um, is to help save lives that I didn't endure so much for for nothing and it wasn't in vain. Um, I'm on a mission and my mission is to openly discuss the epidemic and bring awareness to the the city of San Antonio and the Bear County community. Um, it shouldn't be taboo, and this sensitive subject needs to be addressed. We will make a change, starting with bills and legislation. So, Carol, I'm going to ask you to share with us, if you don't mind, your story. Yes. And please feel free to tell us exactly what you were feeling in each one of these stages and and why our current images of what we believe human trafficking is, what we believe about prostitution and exploitation of human beings, how it's so twisted compared to what it happens in the real life world of a person who has gone through that. So please share. Yes, um, I think it would be would be great if I would start off with um, with my story. Okay. Um, This is a short story of my struggles, my perseverance, my survival, and my redemption. Although my story is long, I will be brief but to the point. I only ask that nobody pities me or feels sorry for me, but rejoices in my new life. There's a quote that says, it's not the strength of the body that counts, but the spirit. Uh, my first memory was when I was three years old. I was molested by my dad's best friend, so that's how I started off life. My father was an alcoholic who womanized. My mother enabled and denied anything was ever wrong. We moved around a lot, so it seemed we were always being evicted from our home. My choices in boys were not always great. I ran away eight times to be with them and ended up in the juvenile detention center. I wanted so badly to fit in somewhere. My first of many sex trafficking experiences was a boyfriend who promised me the world, who would take me away from my dysfunctional family and whom I could start a new life with. He whined me, he dined me, and he discarded me. I was trash. He had many friends whom I had to be with. My most memorable experience was a couple who offered to help 
me start over and pick up the pieces of that relationship. They had a lavish home and seemed like their intentions were good. They even had a Last Supper picture over their dining room table. The husband always offered to buy me clothes and jewelry and use their vehicles anytime if I would just come to a party they were hosting. I was more than excited to go because I was basically homeless, definitely penniless, and was young, so a party sounded like fun. There were people everywhere at the party, laughing, drinking, and having a wonderful time. He gave me my first cocktail ever. It was bitter and sweet. I don't remember much else of that night, but I do remember a lot of men's voices and the smell of all their cologne in the morning. I think that drink might have been spiked. I stayed in a room with two sets of bunk beds, but they didn't have any children. I learned not to ask questions and take the drugs willingly after a while, for it was easier to be high than to face a, the new reality of my new life. But this was only the beginning. I later escaped unharmed physically, but not so much emotionally. I wanted to forget and move on. I was good at forgetting. I met many winners but I finally settled and had some children. My recent addiction, lurking in the shadows, which inevitably brought my marriage to a halt. CPS took my kids. So I met another man, another winner, and this time it would be different, and I would really start over. After all, he only did 13 years in the penitentiary. Winners. Our addictions blossomed together, and before you know it, we lost everything. Sadness and depression was taking over completely. No desires to accomplish anything. He beat me off and dragged me down three flights of stairs, butt naked. He told me one night that we needed money or we'd lose our hotel room. He said to go to the corner and don't come back without the money. He said if I didn't, he'd kill me and our unborn baby. Heavenly was only four pounds, seven ounces in heroin and crack addicted. They took her. A good family my, my Thea introduced me to. Capella, my other daughter, a year later, was methadone addicted. I tried to get off the drugs, but it ended up getting worse because the meds the doctors were giving me were just as powerful, if not more addicting. At this point, I truly gave up. I started picking up tickets for solicitation. I did the, the Eki and Backpage. I started hanging out in the worst neighborhoods in San Antonio, the Lincoln Courts, the Casianos, a.k.a. Ghost Town. I felt like I belonged and these people understood me. The, pol the police knew me by my first name and would, would try to help, bringing me food under the bridge. I now had officially been broken. Can you imagine being so traumatized that it seemed normal? It doesn't phase you. You actually become immune. I got the leftover bullet fragments in a series of drive-bys I had been in. I was cut at the neck in a violent rape where I was left for dead. I remember the vehicle driving away and noticing that the license plate was covered in plastic. No one would believe a used-up woman had been raped. Texas Department of Corrections, 15 arrests, TDC, enough is enough. It hit me when I met the sheriff at the county jail. Susan Pomelo. She was a woman and I believed and believed in me and believed I would get what I needed from the classes in the jail and what they offered. I got probation in the Esperanza court and I met three of the most wonderful women who truly believed I could do anything. Boy, did I resist. 
wasn't used to rules, was used to doing things my way. No one ever showed me. Judge Lorena Rummel of the 144 District Court, Linda Thorpe of Bear County Probation, Victoria Spicer, my dearest counselor, LPC, always holding me accountable and helping me believe in myself. I am currently in my own apartment, my first one ever, that I paid for with my own money, no one else. I was reunited with my children. I am now a grandmother of a two-week-old baby. I bought my own car on my second car. I pay all my bills. I'm in a program at SAC to eventually get my degree in chemical dependency counseling and human trafficking counseling. I will study human trafficking as well. I will open a center for rape victims, traffic victims, and addicted mothers. I will continue to bring awareness. I will make a difference. See, God, he had a purpose for me. There was a light and good that came from this. I was meant to give back and give hope that people can survive and start fresh. That if I can do it, anyone can. You can escape alive. Sex trafficking is a growing industry. It does not discriminate against sex, culture, or social class. It does not mean crossing borders or movement. It can happen anywhere in your own backyard. It's more widely accepted, especially amongst young girls, including struggling college students. The limelight, but that soon fades, and the sheer horror begins. Something has to be done, just like with the Darren Stranger Danger program. More awareness needs to be accessed. Hopefully everyone gets a chance to spread the word. So that's a very powerful, powerful story, a powerful statement, and it, it, it demonstrates for us the what's going on, actually going on with human trafficking. So many victims have similar stories. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about your story. Let's talk about your earliest memories, and I don't want to get into details, but your earliest memories are of being hurt. Yes. So did that instill a feeling of love and acceptance into your heart or did it instill a feeling of something else? I didn't trust anybody. It it just uh, distrust, um, just feeling different, like I didn't belong anywhere. Um, Couldn't go to my family, didn't trust the police. So those were the feelings that I was having, Just, just didn't believe in anybody, not even my own self. Did your mother protect you? No. She protected my father. And you said your father was violent? Yes. So what that instilled with you is is feeling like you couldn't trust in them. Right, exactly. And you weren't protected. Mm-hmm. And you weren't connected. Right. Did that come out in any kind of behaviors as you got older? Um, defiance, you know, in school, um, rebellious um, with teachers, um, especially like anybody in authority, anybody with or with authority. Um, I didn't, I just, I always fought everybody because I always thought they were out to get me. Um, so that's how it, how it came out. Cause your earliest authority figures were out to get you. Right. Exactly. And your early experiences with law enforcement, what were they like? Well, the first, first couple of ones were them just coming in and wanting to take us. Um, so I didn't trust them either because I didn't know what it was going to be like with them and were they just going to put us, you know, in foster care or, or give us the state, which inevitably ended up happening later on in my teenage years. So those are my early feelings and thoughts of them is just, they were the bad guys. 
So how old were you when you started riding away? Uh, 11. 11? Yeah. Where would you go? To friends' houses. I wasn't allowed to talk to boys. My brother was. He was two years younger. But my father was very jealous, especially when he would be drinking. So um, I would just go and, and hang out with with friends, I would walk miles, ten miles, to get just to just to get away from there and and be with friends and try to be a teenager. And so, during that time period, did were you did anything bad happen to you? During that period, well, the 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 little the little boy that I was talking about earlier, um, he was in a gang, uh, a, a crip affiliated gang, and um, I wanted to be accepted. So it was either I got jumped in or I got sexed in, and I had to sleep with um, eight of his friends to, to become a, a crip gang member. How old were you? Uh, I was 12 at that time. So you were 12 years old, and they, I know that they refer to that as being rolled in mm-hmm. to have sex with multiple right. gang members. And was those, and as you explained, your earliest sexual experiences were age three. Mm-hmm. Did that instill another feeling of distrust in you? Of course. Of course. So 12 years old. Now, how old were you when you met the couple? Mm-hmm. 17 or 18. Mm-hmm. 17 or 18. So tell me about them. Were they? Yeah, they seemed like nice people. Seemed like? Uh, yeah, they, they, they were Christian. Um, they, they had a, a lavish house. They were very nice. Um, you know, I thought they were cool because they would let me drink, you know, mm-hmm. um, before the whole spiking uh, of the drink experience. So I thought, you know, oh, wow, they're cool. They're nice. And they're Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah, I mean, I trusted them. And they were professionals? Yeah, I believe they were. I can't remember exactly what they did. But I do remember them, you know, getting up in the morning and and going to work. Well, at least the husband, the wife would stay home. Okay. And you said these parties were these, what type of people were at these parties? Um, Just people and regular people, regular people, polo shirts and khaki pants. I mean, they just look like average people, like the kind of people that would work um, in a nice office, you know, so. And you remember these individuals, their voices and their cologne. Yeah. So, for our audience, what do you think happened at those moments? Um, I believe that I was taken advantage of um, and raped, raped continuously by by men that were um, double, if not triple, my age. Okay, middle-aged men. Yeah. Okay. So, and how did that make you feel about whether you could trust anybody? How did it make me feel? Mm-hmm. Like nothing. Like nothing. Now, during this time period, did you said you you were experiencing connections with the I mean, you were coming coming contact with the police with mm-hmm. with uh, teachers probably in school with with uh, CPS you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, did any? I'm sure you were displaying. You said you were displaying behaviors. Did anyone ask you if you were okay? Or no, mm-hmm. no, nobody asked me. What were they usually? How did they treat you? Just like I was just um, a rebellious teenager. That's that's it. Oh, she's just a teenager. So, what time period was this? Which part? The, now, when you were first started, when you when you were when you first started as a teenager, when were you a teenager? You teenager in the right? I was a preteen, so probably like twelve. Twelve. Okay. And and what what year was this? Do you remember? Ninety-two. It would be ninety-two, ninety-three. Ninety-two, ninety-three. And 
Did you end up going to juvenile detention? I did for um, running away, which I didn't feel was actually, well, now I didn't feel like was probably the best thing because that just shows you um, what it's like uh, to be viewed as a criminal. You feel like a criminal, not somebody who needs help, you know, somebody that, that needs people to look up to. You're just like, you're just a number and you're in this uniform and and, and maybe discipline and structure is good, but but not in that in that way. You know, um, that's why I'm, I I totally agree with with the central Segula because it's you know, it's it's just a structured environment, you know, um, juvenile. It's 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 not it's not the correct facility or the right facility for 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 kids. You know, they, they need help, not not jailed and arrested and handcuffed, you know, so I don't agree with that. And so you, you're saying that made you feel yeah like, like a criminal. And you, yeah. didn't, you didn't feel like you were getting help. Yeah. So you couldn't trust authority figures. Right. Not at all. And so that basically, did you feel like that pushed you into the arms of other people? Of course. Okay. So so let's talk about tried several times. I know throughout your life, as we've had conversations to to change your life, to get better, to get clean. And, and was that very difficult for you to do on your own? Oh, yeah, it was very, very difficult, especially um, coming off of um, of heroin. You know, you go you go to the methadone clinic, and then they get you on methadone, and little do you know, it's, it's just as bad as, as heroin. You know, and then you're pregnant, and they're telling you it's okay for, for you to take the methadone while you're pregnant and then you have your psychiatrist over here letting you uh, still prescribe you Xanax so then your baby's addicted and you know my my second child only weighed two pounds barely alive you know having seizures and um you know that that I can't even describe that that feeling but um you're fighting you're fighting hard and you're fighting a year you're going to family cl classes you're doing what you're supposed to and they still take your child you know so yeah it's 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 tough so what was the if you were working your services you were going through the, the classes mm -hmm. and you were doing what the medical professional said to right. to take the drugs that they gave you and yet you still lost custody of yeah. your child right and i even had um a, a safety plan that was supposed to be in effect um and that was my soon-to-be ex-husband's mother she was um she worked for the edgewood school district for 35 years and she was going to be the one that would um, get permanent custody, which I was okay with. I would have rather um, Heavenly had been with with family. And um, Judge Ma all Judge Montemayor could say was that the methadone clinic was my drug dealer. So they frowned on it, and it was like um, it was bad from the beginning. You know, they 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 look at these babies as gold nuggets. Um, the state does, and you know they they never in intended on giving me or my family back even after the year if i put in so you feel betrayed by this system. oh definitely but at that time okay. yeah so did that send you into a spiral of course yeah that's when it got worse you know just just not not caring giving up and and just you know the trafficking you know having having a boyfriend you know that that put you on the corner and told you you know he was going to kill you if you didn't come back with the money and you know then escalating to to meeting um these these uh, quote-unquote tricks and them introducing you to Backpage and Eki and you know and then uh, feeling 
feeling um, dirty and um, using more drugs to cover up more pain and then just not caring. You know, I overdosed twice once my heart stopped, once I stopped breathing, you know, so I just didn't have the will to, to go on anymore. So obviously these boyfriends didn't come at you saying, well, Carol, I'm going to beat you up and, and put you on the corner. I mean, how did they approach you? Oh, just like, just like a regular boyfriend, you know, I think you're beautiful and, um, I, I love you and I care for you and I'll do anything for you and no one's going to love you like me and we're going to be great together. We have a great life and, you know, that's how, that's how it started. And having been turned on by everyone else, you were looking for someone for help. Yes. And these guys kind of came, they painted a picture like a, of themselves. Like a saviors, yeah. Right. So they were pretending. Yeah. I mean, in the, looking back on retrospect, do you think they really loved you? No, of course not. They just wanted to use me. And having that had that done to you, was it very hard then to build trust with anyone? Of course, of course. Now, again, you're coming into contact with CPS at this point. You're coming into contact with medical professionals when you have your baby. Was anyone asking you anything that could have helped? They didn't care about me. That's what it felt like, at least. You know, it was it was all about the baby. You know, but even the baby had their own attorney. Um, the attorney that I had with both cases, same same attorney, you know. They just, you're you're not human to them. You know, you're just... You're just this prostitute. Whether you try or not, you're always going to be. That's like you're just this. There's a stigma, you know. So, so the stigma of being a prostitute. I mean, with people just looking, you felt as if the 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 message you got was is that everyone looked at you as just a prostitute mm -hmm. or a drug addict, yeah. or just a drug addict. Mm -hmm. And that made it very difficult then to see yourself as any other way. Right. I was already labeled. Yeah. And when those labels, they become critical, right? Of course. I mean, you were labeled as a young child as what? Oh, rebellious. Rebellious. Yeah. And then you got labeled later on as being prostitute. Someone used for sex. Mm, whore, criminal. Whore, criminal. And did you believe those things about yourself? At the time. At the time. Okay. Was it very hard for you to see yourself in any other way? I didn't believe in myself at that time. So if someone just came up to you and said, you're not all these things. I might have believed them. You might have believed them. Mm -hmm. Did anyone do that? No. How, diff how, much of a, how important is it in someone's life to have someone that actually believes in them? It's vital. How important is it for someone to know that they're not just what they can do, but who they are is just special for just who they are? It's the most important thing. Now let's talk about... Um, you know, you're going to, now at this point you're going to jail, you know, you were, you know, you talked about the violence out there and did you feel as though you were a victim at that point? Um, I never really tried to play the victim role, but when I look back, I see that, um, you know, I was a victim rather than a criminal. Mm -hmm. You know, my charges were not um, hurting people. It was hurting myself. You know, um, what I did was, to achieve my 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 you know my drugs and addiction um, was to to destroy myself. Nobody else wouldn't steal or anything like that. It was just me. What was happening inside of your mind when um, you started to realize that these labels that were put on you were not 
actually true and you were being when did i start to realize that what was, yeah what was going on oh the or, when know, i when i had gone when i had ran into the sheriff um at the county jail um there was a whole line of girls 18 to 20 of them and she stopped at me she could have stopped at any one of them and she said do you mind me asking why you're here uh, well first she asked me if I was okay and she asked me um, do you mind me asking where you're here and I told her prostitution and she said well you're in my facility you're gonna get the help that you need so that was like um, the turning point right there somebody was somebody believed in me and it was a woman um, in authoritative position awesome wonderful I'm, I'm so glad you had that experience mm -hmm. um, and so if that looking back at that moment if that had been a male sheriff how would you have felt if he would have said the exact same words to you? Oh, that's a good question. I, I really don't know. I I think it would have still been profound, maybe not as profound, mm -hmm. but I think, uh, you know, it would have, I would have thought about it, right. you know, you know, she planted a seed. He might've planted a, a one as well. Right. So, yeah. so what, um, what happened to the men that trafficked you? Do you know? Oh, I have no idea. I'm sure they're out there somewhere mm -hmm. still doing it. And so um, the experience that you had with the Esperanza Corps, mm -hmm. um, how do you feel like, do you feel like that can help other women going into that system? Do you feel like yes. there's some changes that could be made? Right. Well, with women, women with, um, with um, the felony prostitutions, when, they, when it gets to that level, um, yeah, Esperanza is definitely, because you're used to doing things your way, and this program holds you highly accountable. So I think it's, yeah, I think it's, um, it's vital, yeah, for sure. This is uh, Cesar. First of all, I want to say thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story. Of course. Um, you know, as a man, and I hear your story, I think about, the choices that you know I make as a man, mm -hmm. um, and the choices that young men are making around you know the world right now. Um, if you could talk to the young men that were a part of your story, what would you tell them today? The ones that hurt me. The ones that hurt you, and I'm thinking you know I want young men around the world to hear, you know what what they can do, you know to make sure that that they're not hurting others, you know or hurting. You know, they're the women in their lives. Um, well, first of all, you know, I would believe that they would need well, for they would need communication. Of course, you know, they would need to be really open. You'd have to set boundaries in the beginning. And um, for me, I, I would just look for like red flags. You know, I, I, I if I don't trust, I'm I'm out. But um, I would just tell them to be good, be good to their woman, you know, be a gentleman, um, um, always put your lady first, you know, um, you know, it's, it's teamwork. It's, it's, it's work. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny is, um, all the relationships that I've been in were, were horrible. And, and finally, I, I finally found somebody, um, who, who, who loves me for me and I love him for him. Um, not what he can offer me or not what I can offer him. Um, and I feel like he helped in all this, this process. Um, he has a really big heart. He's actually a cadet for, um, for law enforcement right now. So, which is kind of ironic, but, but, um, yeah, so that's what, that's what I would, that's what I would say. And we have a lot of, I'm sure young women who are hearing your story as well. Mm -hmm. What would you tell them? Well, I always be, say, uh, be mindful 
and um, you know, I, I would with my kids. I'm like, do a background check, you know, if credit check, you know. But um, those are my kids. Um, you know, just just get to know them. Date as long as you can, and and really, really get to know someone. Don't move in right away, and um, you know, spend a lot of time together, and. Um, you know, prioritize your relationship and see how much time the other person's willing to spend with you and and so on and so forth, things like that. Yeah. And I'm sure there's um, also just women in general in violent relationships right now. Mm-hmm. Um, how is it, how important is, is it for them to speak up? Oh, it's, it's very important because they could end up dead. Yeah, you know, um, ask for help. You know, there's there's different numbers um, that that we can offer, and then you can always call the police. You can always call two and one. I mean, there's just there's just so much help out there. Um, definitely get away, get away as fast as you can because you don't know if you're gonna make it out alive. I have one last question, um, Carol. For people like myself, I actually get to work with uh, minors who've survived sex trafficking here in San Antonio. And um, I've seen them, you know, while they're in juvenile detention centers and walking around with their ankle monitors and whatnot. Um, what kind of advice would you give me working with them to help them? Because they're a lot of times they're still in that mentality of they don't trust us. Right. So how could we what, what would advice would you have for me talking to them? Well, you you haven't been there, so it's a it's a little bit well, that would be a little rough, right? Um, but just spending a lot of time with them, you know, doing doing things with them, not just coming out and well, how do you feel, you know, just 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 definitely spending spending time with them because they're not going to open up, you know. You gotta uh, you gotta build a rapport, you gotta build trust, you know, with someone like me, um, and in what I do, they would be a little more you know, opt to, to, to open it up quicker because I can say, Hey, I've been there. But with you, it'd be like, okay, well let's, let's build this. You know, we can build, we could, you can, you can, you can get them to open up, just build upon it. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, we certainly appreciate you coming to our podcast, taking the time uh, away from your Saturday. And we're also grateful for you being so vulnerable and sharing your story with us. Um, for anyone wanting to get consulting information, uh, from your organization, how could they reach you? Um, it would be uh, Gutierrez Carol nineteen seventy nine at gmail dot com. Wonderful, thank you. And we'll be sharing that on our social media pages and our website as well. If you want to make contact with Carol, she's most definitely available to provide her services. Thank you, Carol. You're welcome. So once again, thank you for uh, joining us and listening to our uh, episode ten um, here for Talk for Freedom. You can. Find our podcast on a21freedomchasers.org and Chuck Paul LLC. And I think I also want to stress how important it is to to share this with your friends, your family. There's a lot of important information, a lot of great information that you're getting in our podcast that will help um, with our, our work and spreading awareness, which is is key. I think Carol's story is powerful and impactful, and there are young women, uh, young men that need to hear this. And there's just a lot of people that need to hear this, um, and I think it'll help help us in this fight. And so once again, thank you, Carol. Um, thank you, Chuck. Thank you, Cece. I think we have uh, a lot of great work that we're doing and that we just need to continue. And so I hope you guys uh, will join us for the next episode.